0: Amen. Please be seated. If you have your copy of God's Word with you this morning, I do invite you to turn with me to the book of Luke. The book of Luke, chapter 1. We will be beginning our Advent series this morning, looking at Luke 1, 1 through 25. You can also find the text for this morning on the insert inside of your bulletin, along with a brief outline of today's message. As you're turning there, I just want to thank you uh, for the opportunity for my family to go and um, visit uh, my parents um, and Lisa's parents in Mississippi. It was a great week off last week. I had a wonderful time in uh, the church when I came to uh, Reformed teaching and, and joined this denomination, uh, First Presbyterian Church Jackson. It was a true blessing last Sunday to be with them, to worship the living God there. Uh, but we can honestly say that we missed you and we miss being here. And so it is a delight to be back um, with you all this morning. And it's a delight to start our Advent series. Over the next several weeks, uh, we will be looking at uh, scenes from Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2. um, To quote Luke and uh, his goal for this book, to hear an accurate account of what took place, so that each of us may have certainty to that which we have been taught And I've titled this series for this Advent, Prophecy and Promise. As we look at prophecies fulfilled, I think Luke does an excellent job in this. Um, He, uh, even more so than the other gospel writers, has a very pointed uh, look at uh, Old Testament fulfillment in the New. And as well as the promises that those fulfilled prophecies offer to us, the church, today. And so as we go through the four Sundays of Advent, and even in our Christmas Eve service, we will be looking at prophecy uh, and the promises that those prophecies being fulfilled offer for you and for me today. It is no coincidence that Christ would be born under the conditions he came into the world. No one should have been shocked, especially the church, especially the Pharisees and the leaders of their time who were to study the Old Testament and to understand the scriptures and to be ready. When Christ would come, in fact, his his um, coming was really foretold well, um, I would say, in the Old Testament, and yet they failed in their job, and they were surprised, and many would deny this, but for that, for those that did believe, as the scriptures were explained to them, as they they saw these Old Testament passages, and it came to life, and and what took place, and leading up to the birth of Christ, and the birth of Christ, and what happened. After it, it all the more solidified their faith and it all the more strengthened them in their walk with the Lord, and, and really in a way that's what we get in the book of Luke. And so that's why we will be there, um, Lord willing, over the next several weeks. And this morning we will begin um, at the beginning of this gospel. With that in mind, would you please follow along with me as I read for us the Word of God this morning, Luke chapter 1. Verses 1 through 25. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, O most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty. And the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. To make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak "'until the day that these things take place, "'because you did not believe my words, "'which will be fulfilled in their time.' "'And the people were waiting for Zechariah, "'and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. "'And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, "'and they realized he had seen a vision in the temple. "'And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. "'And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. "'After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived.' And for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me, to take away my reproach among people. The grass may wither and the flower may fall, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. He has promised in his word it will set out to do everything he has desired of it. And we today are recipients and benefactors of those promises. Would you please go with me in prayer as we ask the Lord's blessing upon this time. Dear Heavenly Father, we have heard your word this morning. We have listened to the telling of John the Baptist's birth being foretold. We've heard of the promises. We think to the prophecies. And we look now for the fulfillment of them. Lord, give us eyes to see this morning. Give us ears to hear. May we understand your word. May it penetrate our hearts May it shape our lives. May it govern your church. And may you be glorified because of it. We praise you in this time and ask that you bless it for your name's sake. We ask all of this in Christ Jesus. Amen. Have you ever found yourself being promised something that just seemed too good to be true? How did you react? My guess is that It really depends on who promised it to you. You know, I get emails all the time of promotions, of deals, of sign this and agree to this, and you will be entered into a chance to win prizes of hundreds of thousands of dollars, and all your dreams will come true, and everything wonderful in your life will happen if you will but give us your name and your contact information, your credit card, your social security number, and everything that you own. I don't answer those Because I don't trust them. I I don't trust the people offering these great things to me. They've not proven themselves trustworthy. They have not shown me that they are good with their word. And so they are automatically sent into a spam filter. However, if I ever were to find myself in a circumstance where a friend or family member was to come up to me and say, Aaron, I have this, this priceless gift. And it is special and it's unique to you because of our friendship. And I just, I want you to have it. Um, it could not be valued in price, but I just want you to have it. Now, it's never happened before, so I just have to assume how I would react. But I believe in that circumstance, I would go, wow, how wonderful, how, how honoring it is that you would give such a gift to me. And I have to believe in that circumstance, I would receive it with gladness because I know the source. I know the person giving the gift. I know them because they've been in my life, because I've listened to their stories, because we've shared experiences together. And that is all the difference in the world, isn't it? When you know the giver, it helps you to trust the gift. And the more relationship you have to the giver, the better that relationship, the more likely you are to receive that gift. In a lot of ways, that's what we have going on this morning in our passage. Luke is, in his first section, establishing credibility. You can trust what I am writing. You can trust what I am saying, because I have checked my witnesses, I have checked my sources. I have looked at the examples. I have heard the testimony. I am reliable. You can depend upon me. And so he, he, he gives us this rationale. He, he gives us this foundation so that we will trust him. And then he immediately transitions into uh, the beginning of the gospel. And here, unlike other gospel writers, he doesn't begin with the birth of Christ, but he begins with the birth of John. And in John's case, with with Zechariah and his role um, as priest, he finds himself being offered a gift, a great gift, a a marvelous, magnificent gift, uh, the gift of his prayers. And yet at the same time, he struggles. He struggles because he's not quite sure of the giver. He's not quite sure of, of what has taken place And so we get a little bit of that doubt, a little bit of that worry. And this morning on our our first Sunday of Advent, we're going to consider this passage really in in three movements. And as we do, I think it, it gives us a great foundation for thinking about the birth of Christ and thinking about the Advent season and all of what it means the first movement we will see is in verses 1 through 4. And it is that section where Luke is, is offering himself as a reliable witness. He's offering the prophecies of this book as reliable and as true. And so that should give us confidence. And then the second movement, we will look at the foretelling of John the Baptist's birth. We will see that a prophet will come to prepare the way. And we can trust that because of what he's already said. And we find this in 5 through 17. And then thirdly, in the third movement, we learn about Zechariah's reaction to the promise. And in this, we find a very honest example of what it looks like to doubt God. To doubt the promises of God in our lives. This is an important lesson for us today. And it's one I want to make sure we focus on in verses 18 to 25 three movements preparing us, getting us ready for the coming Savior, each in their own unique way. So would you please follow along with me this morning as we look at each of these movements, beginning with the certainty Luke offers us and what is written in his gospel. And we don't have to wonder um, if you were with us, um, we started a series here at this church. We went through the book of Luke through the Gospels. If you can remember all those years ago, back at the beginning, when we started this series, Luke tells us very clearly, he's a great writer, thesis statement up top. What is the purpose of this book? What are you doing?" And Luke says, "I want you." have certainty to that which has been done. I want you to have confidence in that which we have seen. And what you have been told, I want you to believe it. Let us simplify that a little bit. Luke, um, really, what he is saying is, you can trust the gospel because of these biblical proofs. And all throughout his letter, all throughout his writing, if you look at the various scenes in the book of Luke, Luke, in an orderly and accurate and detailed way, gives evidence after evidence after evidence after evidence after evidence to who Christ is, what he came to do, how it ties to the Old Testament, and why we should believe it. I really love his gospel for that purpose. Luke, very clearly, so that you may have certainty. And what you have been taught. He lays it out for us. And he takes all of this and we know again in the introduction to his letter. He's writing this to a man named Theophilus. Now we're not exactly sure who Theophilus is. But Luke writes Luke and Luke writes Acts to Theophilus. Most likely a political figure of uh, this time. Uh, Some believe he was a close friend of Luke and uh, even listening to Matthew Henry, uh, Matthew Henry believes that he was converted by Luke's ministry. Uh, that, in fact, Luke baptized Theophilus. And so Luke is now writing this letter a man, to a man of influence who he has discipled and says to him, I want you to have certainty of that which you've been taught and that which you believe, and by circumstance, that others may have certainty and confidence in what they have been taught, and in what they believe. And wrapped up in all of this, and I, I really think this is one of the major themes in, in Luke's gospel, Luke writes in such a way that God is the focus. Every scene, every moment, every detail, every event, we are to take as God as the focus. That God is first and foremost and think about that. Think about the importance of that in our world today. Think about that and how the broader church preaches and in what's being taught um, by the evangelical churches. We do not teach, or Luke certainly does not teach, that the gospel is being your best self through wealth and prosperity. Many in the biblical times suffered and struggled. Many endured hardships of great degree. John the Baptist himself would go through extraordinary trials to the point of being beheaded because a man at a party wanted to please a woman who danced for him. We do not teach, and Luke certainly does not teach, that man is at the center of existence. Rather, the biblical message is that our lives are about glorifying God and about enjoying Him forever. We were created for worship. And it's apparent from the beginning to the end, especially in Luke's gospel, that God created us for the worship of him. And so in this introduction, in this section of thesis and, and of gathering his objectives, Luke is saying, I want you to worship God. I want you to trust God. I want you to rely upon God. I want you to believe God and focus upon God and that he gives even before the first story is told even before he tells us about the birth of John the Baptist even before Gabriel visits Zechariah he starts here because everything else will be built upon it because if we can't settle here if we can't understand this then all the rest falls apart and think about this in in the season that we're in in this time of year it is so easy to get lost in the gifts and the parties and the, the activities. It is easy to get overworked. It's, it's easy to wear ourselves out. I'm, I'm reminded of a, of a story I, I heard once of a tired mother with three kids in tow getting into an elevator um, after Christmas shopping and she's beat down and worn out. And I know some of you understand what that's like and She's getting on this packed elevator. You hear her exclaim, whoever invented this holiday should be shot. To which one person in the back said, don't worry, we hung him 2,000 years ago. There we go. It it took a minute. It took, there it is. There it is. But how true is that? It is so easy to get lost in the busyness, in in the, the doing of things that we forget why. Why do we celebrate? Why is this important? Why does this matter? It matters because we're talking about God. We're talking about our Savior. We're talking about who He is and what He has done. And to push it even further, we all know this. We live in a time where truth is subjective. Where where people's own opinions matter more than what reality is. Truth is truth to you. And as long as you and I can get along, you can believe your truth, and I can believe your, my truth, and we're all happy. Fortunately, that's not how truth works. There is truth. There are certain things. And especially as we think about the Bible and, and what it tells us about God in the recording of history, Luke is not telling us to believe blindly. Luke is saying, I have a reliable collection of historical data backed up by eyewitnesses and other eyewitnesses, and I've gathered names and places and dates and facts and details that only could have been gathered from people that were there so that you might believe. And then ultimately we know it's only by the power of the Holy Spirit that belief can come. But we're not asking you to be blind in your faith. We're not asking you to believe without evidence. We're saying trust the Lord from what he says. And that is really what Luke is getting at here. That's really what Luke is driving us toward in this book. He's saying, put your focus on God. Trust in Him. Trust in His Word. Because His Word has prepared the way for what is coming. For what comes next. And if you look at this chapter, and I know it's a lengthy passage, you know that what comes next is the foretelling of the birth of John the Baptist. And so, with that groundwork in place would you look with me at our second section where we see that a prophet comes to prepare the way? And then in this scene, in this movement, we learn of a man named Zechariah. Now, for all intents and purposes, Zechariah is a very uninteresting character. He is a priest. A lot of people were priests. He married into the house of Aaron, a name of note. He was married, but without children, because his wife was barren and advanced in years. An older man, an older couple, faithfully serving the Lord, but very bland, very uninteresting. His name doesn't mean much to us until we read further. And what's really interesting, and I was listening to another pastor uh, comment on this, uh, Zechariah's name is mentioned right beside Herod. And Herod is a very interesting person, not one you'd want to be friends with and not one you'd probably want to get to know, but he is interesting. His name shows up all over the place. He is one who loves himself and his own beliefs and thoughts and practices. He wants to protect himself and his reign and his role, and so he is very well known. And I, I really do believe, as, as this pastor commented There's a significance there. You've got Herod, this person of of importance, of status, and of value. He's mentioned, and then his name's gone, at least in this section. You have Zechariah, who's a nobody, who is of no consequence, of no significance. And it's through him that the gospel continues. How often is it that God uses those that are insignificant, that those of lowly status and lowly value to proclaim and push forth his plan of salvation. Time and time again, this is the case. Why? Because it takes the focus off of us, and it puts it where it belongs, back on God. But I do want to give Zechariah and Elizabeth credit. I, I, it's, it's kind of a, a misleading for me to tell you they're of no consequence or no significance, because there's actually something very important we know about them. Luke tells us this. They were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly, And all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. They were significant. Their lives did matter. Why? Because they trusted God. They trusted His word. They followed His commands and they believed in Him. They rested in His promises for their salvation. And so let that just be a note for us as, as just a touch of an aside. Don't worry so much about where the world places value and where the world places meaning. We know of the name of Zechariah and Elizabeth because they trusted in the Lord who they were to God matters and so who you are to God matters who you are before your Lord and your Savior matters it matters to him and it matters to us as the church. May we not take this for granted now, after a brief introduction to who they are, we zoom into a uh, to a work schedule for Zechariah. Zechariah was a priest. It was his division's turn to serve in the temple. And by lot and and by choice, he was to go in and give offerings of incense. This was a a special task. It was one that um, rotated uh, through the priest, and so the lot fell on him. And while he was in offering incense, an angel appeared. Now, I don't have time to go into it, but when angels appear in the Bible, we, we have these like terrible um, just images of angels uh, like on uh, the toilet paper, uh, the cute, chubby babies. Um, when you look at like angelic figures in the Bible, uh, angels scare children. They should scare adults, like if you drew them to, to scale and, and to how they should be. Uh, they were grand creatures. They were creatures, um, as Gabriel says later, "I stand in the presence of God." You should be taken aback and startled when an angel shows up. And so Zechariah rightly is afraid. It's an angel um, is in front of me, radiating the glory of God. (laughs) So much so, er, almost every time an angel shows up, the first words out of their mouth is do not be afraid because he's got to get them past that so he can give them the message. It's like, calm down. It's okay. I'm here. Yes, I'm here. Now listen, because I have something to tell you. And what does he tell him? He says, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. He will be great before the Lord, and he will go before him in spirit and power of Elijah. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Now put yourself in, in his shoes for a moment. like, like Really try to, to, to imagine the, the, the level of information that you just received. You were being faithful in your, in your duty as a priest. You were offering sacrifice or incense in the temple, um, and an angel shows up. That doesn't happen often. Um, very rarely in the, in, the, in the biblical account. And this angel, after you get over the shock, says, Don't be afraid. Your biggest prayer will be answered. And oh, by the way, he's going to be like a prophet of old. He's going to be filled with the Spirit from birth. And he's going to make people's hearts ready for the coming Messiah. I mean, can you just can you imagine just, just taking that in? Can you imagine just that being poured on top of you in this, in this moment when you weren't expecting it and it just came out of nowhere? What a day in the office. I can, I can only imagine his head had to have been spinning. And then if, you, if, if there was any degree of clarity in Zechariah, and I'm not promising that there would, I'm, I'm thinking of my own life, your mind would zoom out and you would hear in what was just said glimpses of prophecy. Your mind should go to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 40. These words. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Matthew in his gospel says this was foretelling John the Baptist 1,100 years prior. Maybe your mind as you zoom out and as things start to close in around you goes to Malachi. Malachi 3, 1. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. The Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Your mind just weighs upon that the Lord is coming. You know, you you get this moment of I'm going to have a child and he's going to be a prophet, but as you zoom out, you go, oh, that means the Lord is coming, the Savior or even maybe in your mind, is if you really have a good codex going on in your head, you, you go from Malachi 3 to Malachi 4, and you, you hear this, Behold, I will send you Elijah before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And your mind goes, wait a minute, he says he'll be of the strength and power of Elijah, and God has promised that Elijah is coming. Does that mean the day of the Lord is almost here? The Old Testament promise of the day of God's coming. The day of of judgment and of salvation. The day in which God's people will be brought together and united under Him. Your head would have to be spinning after this. You You would really have to almost be dizzy with the weight of everything that's been told. But as you sit and you think about it and as you really try to weigh that down... God has told us that this day was coming. God has prepared us that this day would come. And, and Luke spent his first section saying, I'm going to tell you the truth. Not something made up, not something of my own accord, not something of my own account. And then he goes and he records, through the power of the Holy Spirit, these moments. Here is what's going to happen. And by the way, here's some proof of it. Here's where I've already said this will take place. here's where it will look what it will look like. God does wonderful things in, in how he prepares his people for what is to come. And, and John the Baptist's birth was certainly one of those things where he would prepare his people, where he would make them ready for the coming of the Lord, really John's ministry and purpose to get people ready for Jesus. And I believe that's why Luke starts here, where Luke starts, with, with John the Baptist, and then we get the scene in, in Luke 2 um, with Jesus. He's telling us to be ready. You can trust me, now get ready. But I love, and, and um, we have to take a moment and, and look at Zechariah's response, because it's, it's so easy to get wrapped up in these grand ideas and these grand promises and these grand stories. And, and we who can read the full account, we often forget what it would be like to be in that moment. Because in that moment, Zechariah does what? He doubts. He doubts. He doubts the promise. He, he doubts what he's being told. And in that, we really get a human response, a response that many of us would take, a response that many of us take even to this day. So let's take a moment and look at this final movement and admit that we often struggle to believe God's promises. And we have to be very careful. We have to be very careful to not go, okay, Zechariah, you, you're in a temple. You've got an angel who's glowing with the glory of God before you. Why did you doubt? I mean, come on. Like, really? Really? He's telling you this and you go, eh, I don't know about that. But let's be honest, wouldn't we too? <laughs> I know I would. I, I'll speak for myself. I, you may be more sanctified than I am, but I wouldn't. Have, I don't even know if I could have spoken. Like I, I, they probably would have thought that I'd been cast into speechlessness just from the fact that I'm still taking it in. It is very human. It is very natural to hear everything that Zechariah had been told and go, "Wait a minute, hold on, slow down." Can you can you help me out here? Can you give me something so I, I know what's going on? Gabriel, in all of his glory and his might and, and the responsibility of his role, he says, I am Gabriel, the messenger of God. I have been sent by God to declare this message to you. And what I have said will come to pass. And by the way, when what happens comes to pass... Zechariah then understands everything he's promised is going to come true. That's really how prophecy works. (laughs) But Gabriel, as as God's messenger, he does something almost comical here. He says, okay, you doubted me, and so I'm going to strike you mute. And again, think about that for a moment. You and your wife have been praying Remember, they're beyond childbearing years. So they've been praying for a long time for children. And the answer's been no, 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 no. And then all of a sudden the answer is yes. And you can't tell anyone. You can't talk to anyone. You, you can't let anyone know. At, at best, he comes out offering signs He's got the the greatest news for he and his wife. He's got the greatest news for the world. The Savior is coming. The day of the Lord is upon us. Prophecy is going to be fulfilled. There is hope for the people of Israel. What you have been waiting for is here. And he can't speak it. For almost a year, he finished his duty. And then for the nine months of the pregnancy, he couldn't speak. But during that time, don't you imagine in his head and his thoughts and his prayers, he's going, praise God. God who keeps his promise. God who is faithful. Time of contemplation, a year of silence to think about all that has been told to him. And we know that he's excited because um, to, to move forward, to when the child is born, he, he burst out in this... this um, just a string of praises and, and string of God is so good and God is worthy of praise and how wonderful is this moment and how worthy is he for what he has done. But God strikes him mute so that he can think about trusting in the Lord. And I just, I just want to say this morning, dear Christian, we can be affected in a similar way today. Disbelief can rob us of the joy of the good news of the gospel. How often do we find ourselves looking at someone who professes faith and we go, nah, there's no way. There's no way. The life that they once lived, what they came out of, there's no way. We're often quick to disbelieve, aren't we? We're we're often quick to ignore the promises of God. We're often quick to read His Word and go, that's a bit much. I can trust this, but not this. Look at the virgin birth. It is illogical. But how many people shut it down? There's no way. Because they refuse to believe. Their their disbelief robs them of a great truth. It doesn't make logical sense, but it's what God did. How many times throughout the biblical account do people look at it and go, I'll take the teaching, but I don't want the miracles. I'll take... Jesus the man, but I don't take Jesus the God. I don't want this and I want this. They piece together a gospel of their own making. They let disbelief rob them of joy, true joy. Zechariah's disbelief for a whole year, he could not express his joy. And what had happened? Even worse, how often do we do this to ourselves? How often do you find yourself saying, there's no way God will forgive me for this again? I've sinned that sin too many times. My sin is too great. Surely God will not listen. He's tired of me at this point. I'm not that important. My life doesn't matter. How often do we find ourselves, whether we express it out loud or in the quiet of our own heart, doubting God's promise to love us and provide for us? We often rob ourselves of joy and excitement because we cannot accept God's word for what it is, the truth. My friends, the the story of John the Baptist and what he was meant to do is true. Luke laid that out in his beginning. John had to prepare the way for Christ because Christ would come. He would live, he would die, and he would rise from the grave to make the ultimate payment for sin. It was foretold from the very beginning. You can go all the way back to Genesis 3 in the pronouncement of the curse. God says to Satan, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. There will be an offspring of the children of man. A baby will be born. And that baby will defeat Satan. He will bruise the head, a a crushing blow. The the thrust of of the Hebrew there is that it's a a significant event, a a destroying. That's why um, a lot of your translations do label it crush. There is hope for you today if you but trust in him. John did come, just like it was foretold. And Zechariah does celebrate as he is born, as it was foretold. John prepares the way for Christ as it was foretold. And Christ does exactly what he set out to do as it was foretold. I love this time of year. I love the opportunity to reflect on all God has done for us. I love the Christmas story, and I love reading it from each of the gospel writers. As you get a chance this year and as we go through this series, I pray that you appreciate the truth of what you're hearing. These prophecies and the prophecies being fulfilled bring validity to the gospel account and give us evidence on top of evidence on top of evidence to trust in God. And be very careful to not let things rob you of joy. It is so easy to question, to doubt, to worry. It is so easy to place the emphasis on us and not on him. And in those moments we we find ourselves like that poor mother exhausted in the in the elevator. Whoever invented this holiday ought to be shot. Well, he did die. He died for sinners like you and like me. And because of that, we should have joy and we should celebrate. He who was foretold has come. He died for sinners. He rose again. And one day very soon, he's coming back. And to that, especially this time of year, we celebrate together. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, what a joy it is to read the gospel accounts. I thank you for Luke's diligence. I thank you for his ability to write and to record. I thank you for his ability to gather witnesses and to remind us of the Old Testament and the scriptures that foretold all of these things that were to come. Lord, I thank you for Zechariah, and I thank you for the promise offered unto him and to his wife. Lord, I thank you for the honesty recorded in Luke's gospel that he doubted. For we are all prone to doubt. We are all prone to not believe for the promise is too great. It is too great a promise to believe that our sin can be forgiven. It is too great a promise to believe that we can be loved by God Almighty. It is too great a promise to believe that we can be children of God, forgiven, and given a place in his kingdom, as his people. Lord, give us the faith to believe. The promises are too great, but you are greater. Through your Holy Spirit, open our eyes, our ears, and our hearts that we might trust you by faith. And help us to take joy as we read through your word and and see evidence of promise and promise fulfilled. Be with us during this time of year as we celebrate the coming Savior and as we look forward to his coming again. We pray all of this in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen.